Hi, my name is Jen. I'm a holistic nurse practitioner, and I'm here to tell you that your body can heal. I've healed eight different chronic and autoimmune conditions that had me bedridden sick with little hope for my future in my 20s. I've created this podcast to inspire you and give you the tools to heal your body, your mind, your heart, your spirit, and your life. This podcast is for patients, practitioners, and people who want to listen from the place where spirit and science meet. As we heal our body, we have a body that moves well, thinks well, loves well, and that is a body we want to be in for this life to carry out our soul's work. I'm so glad you're here tuning in with us. Now let's get to this week's episode. Because, you know, you get a lot of patients that, you know, they might come to more integrative therapies or alternative therapies kind of later in their in their journey, right? You know, maybe they've tried all the conventional treatments and have been told there's nothing else and, Mm -hmm. you know, go home on hospice, get your affairs in order. There's nothing else to do, but they don't feel like it's the end for them. And they're like, well, is there anything out there that I can try? And so um, I had a gentleman come to me. um, It'll be, it'll be four years in January now, uh, four years ago with stage four pancreatic cancer. Mm. which is basically a death sentence, you know, yeah, yeah. stage four pancreatic cancer, the survival rate at five years is less than 1%. So uh, a very deadly, you know, disease by all accounts. And this guy came to me, it had had surgery, uh, the Whipple procedure went through a year of chemo, failed two different lines of chemo, and was told there was really nothing else to do. On top of that had a MRSA infection in his spine. So he was paralyzed below the waist. So his wife literally wheeled him into my office in a wheelchair and, um, and said, you know, we're interested in, you know, we're not ready to give up. What what can you, what can you do to help us? And I have to say, Jen, that, I mean, I can still remember that visit and my brain going, I don't know if there's anything I can do for this guy. You know, I, I'm not sure. And so, uh, you know, was very honest with them about that. And, you know, I'd treated enough stage four pancreatic cancer patients over the years that I wasn't going to blow smoke up their butt. I was just like, look, you're in a bad spot here. You're paralyzed. You know, you, you've had, you got a lot of toxicity from the chemo that didn't work and the disease is, is rampaging. And so, but they, they wouldn't take, I, well, he, I think was ready to say, okay, I I'm done, but the wife would not take no for an answer. <laughs> she said, we understand uh, and thank you for being honest, but we'd like to try. And so we did try. And again, like I said, that was four years ago and, um, he's cancer free. Um, we, we, we did a lot of hard work for the first year and they were in my clinic day in and day out. I mean, most days of the week for a while. And it was a good six months before we really started to see things turn in the right direction. I feel like that's important. Yeah. So, um, you know, that first six months, it was, you know, they kept showing up and I said, well, they wanted to keep trying. I couldn't point them to any information or objective findings that things were getting better, but things weren't getting worse. And he kept showing back up. Yeah. Um, But I would say at about the six month mark, we really started to see the tide turn. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspire Health by Jen podcast. On the show, we've been having so much insight and nourishment into our health journeys, and I have a very special guest for us today, Dr. Lucas Timms. 
Dr. Lucas is an integrative and naturopathic oncologist. He is the fellow of the Board of Naturopathic Oncology. He teaches and writes for medical journals, so he's super well-versed in his own research. He has served as medical director for integrative oncology for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. He served patient at, patients at Reorden Clinic for years, and now he's doing his very own thing, offering his private care services for those who wish to heal from cancer in an integrative fashion with the best of both worlds. And I'm so excited to have him on. So welcome, Dr. Lucas. So glad to have you here. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited uh, for our chat today. Yes, I'm excited for our audience who's, as we were talking a little bit before we got on the air, we have a large group of women here who are healing from autoimmune disease, but we all know someone who's faced a cancer diagnosis or who might in the future. And what I'm really excited about is this podcast community to hear about holistic healing options from you. So we're so excited you're here. Absolutely. Me too. So how did you become inspired to go to school to become a naturopathic doctor? Like of all the journeys you could take, you're like, I'm going to do that. Yeah. I, pretty simple. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, my parents were very into, uh, holistic health, nutrition, um, kind of, uh, part of the macrobiotic movement of the seventies, if you will. So my parents were, you know, we were kind of raised in a household where, you know, we didn't really go to the doctor unless you broke an arm or something. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, everything was kind of treated with home remedies and, and luckily we didn't find ourselves too sick, you know, cause I think we, uh, you know, he ate well, my parents provided good food. And, you know, other than, you know, the common colds and flus and things like that, that we just usually wrote out and did supportive care for, you know, we really didn't have to go to the hospital or the doctor much. And so I didn't really, I didn't have a lot of experience with traditional medicine uh, growing up. Um, but, you know, when I got into, you know, kind of my formative years, and I was thinking about what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be, you know, I was interested in medicine. And, you know, did spend some time, you know, shadowing traditional doctors, MDs, DOs. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it would be, you know? Um, and so I was more interested in, you know, health and wellness. And that's how I kind of stumbled upon, you know, naturopathic medicine as a, as a discipline, as a, a form of medicine. I grew up in Arkansas. And so, you know, naturopathic medicine isn't, there's not a lot of naturopathic doctors in, in Arkansas, let alone the South in general. And so I had to kind of travel across the country to really find uh, where this stuff was, was happening. And so I went to school in Arizona and found the program there, never looked back uh, because that was really, that was the form of medicine that I was most interested in. That is so cool. You're a pioneer for sure. And now we're seeing like this language is still not the mainstream, but becoming more and more popular and what I'm super impressed and curious about is, I mean, you could have picked as a naturopathic doctor to treat anything, common cold, yeah. gut health, you name it. And you were like, let me go for the most aggressive and sometimes scariest thing in a healthcare plan. Why did you choose that? Uh, I'm speaking about oncology. Yeah. Integrative uh, oncology. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I, it sort of chose me, I guess you could say, Jen, um, when I was in naturopathic medical school out in Arizona, I just happened to meet the woman who I would later, you know, marry. And uh, very shortly after we started dating and became pretty serious, she was diagnosed with cancer. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, again, this was, I was still in my first, near the end of the first year of my medical school training. So I didn't, I mean, I didn't know much. I knew maybe enough to be dangerous, but um, 
you know, going through that process with her and that journey and sort of having the, um, the perspective from the patient and caregiver side of, of cancer care and kind of, I like to say, you know, seeing like behind the curtains, right. The wizard of Oz kind of, kind of situation. It's like, wow, this is, this is what it is. And, and she went to very, um, well-renowned cancer centers. Uh, I won't name names, but ones that everyone's heard of. And, uh, I was just, I was just underwhelmed mm. with what they were telling her. It was just, yeah, this, you know, surgery and treatment, and this is, this is all we can do. And there wasn't any talk about, um, well, first of all, it wasn't a very empowering experience. Um, it was basically like, yeah, you know, uh, this isn't good. Uh, here's your, here are the statistics. Here's the odds. Um, you know, they're pretty stacked heavily against you. You're young. This is probably going to be aggressive. Mm -hmm. And the doctors really didn't have anything hopeful to, to offer. Yeah. Um, and when we started asking questions about, you know, nutrition and lifestyle and all the stuff that I was interested in, you know, they didn't, they shut those conversations down very quickly. Wow. So, um, that kind of is what planted a seed for me to want to pursue, uh, a, a specialty in cancer care and, um, and really try to become a, a disruptor, if you will, uh, and try to fill in all these gaps that I was seeing when I was going through that process with my wife. And how did she ultimately heal? Did Was her path more through the mainstream and an afterthought of what could have done? Or did she find the, the naturopathic methods? Um, we, we, we did a truly integrative approach, you know, blending the best of both worlds. Uh, she did, you know, she had surgery and, um, and some other treatments, but, cool. but we incorporated all the other things, you know, now 15 years later, um, obviously I know a lot more and we probably would have done more, but happy to say that you know the approach was successful and she's yeah. cancer free and doing well so mm -hmm. um but i do think that um there is a kind of a middle path that can be found for most people where uh you know there, there's strengths and weaknesses on both sides mm. traditional medicine certainly has its place um but it's not all that's out there and that's the way they kind of like to you know position it is that you know this is the standard of care anything outside of this is kind of quackery or, or nonsense and there's no research. And so, um, that's obviously not the case and, uh, finding the right complementary and integrative therapies to blend with the traditional medicine is really, uh, where I've sort of, um, tried to focus my practice on helping patients so that they're, uh, you know, they're not leaving, anything that might help them on the table, whether it's on one side or the other. I love that about your approach. And I think that makes integrative cancer care so, so accessible for so many, because for someone who's never even considered another way to have a physician say, you know what, we can look at both and we can do both worlds together is probably a breath of fresh air instead of there's a lot of, this is the only way, or this is the only way. And then you take these worlds and you combine them. So that's amazing. I want to ask more about that here in a second, but you have coined this perfect phrase that I've seen on your social media and I love it. It'll probably be what we named the episode. You say cancer is not just bad luck. And this is your, your phrase. Can you break this down for someone who's facing a cancer diagnosis for themselves or for a friend or family? And what hope do they have when you say that? Well, this was something that was sort of uh, born out of just my my early experience working in in cancer care and you know 
being with patients day in and day out and seeing that um, a lot of people uh, had questions initially around, you know, why did I get, why did I get this cancer? What caused this cancer? And it seemed that the <laughs> sort of the broken record response was it's just bad luck, just bad luck. And that's what they kept being told. And to me, I was like, it just, it almost was like a screeching noise. Like I just got so sick of hearing that. And I was like, this, that, that can't be the right answer. That can't be the answer that we're telling these people. And then I start, you know, sort of looking at, well, what, what do we know causes cancer? And guess what? We've got a very long list of well-known carcinogens, things yeah. that cause cancer. And there are things from toxins to viruses, to radiation, to even drugs like chemo and, uh, and birth control pills and things like that. And so we've, we've sort of, I was experiencing this disconnect in my day-to-day um, role with my patients where, you know, they're telling me, oh yeah, my oncologist said that this was just bad luck. You know, I'm not a smoker. I've, I've taken care of my body. There's no family history. It's just bad luck. And I say, well, what about all these other things that we know cause cancer? Maybe you're exposed to some of these things, or maybe you have some of these things and, and maybe this could be the cause. And so I was uh, kind of wrestling with that for several years. And I really just um, got to the point where I was like, okay, we, there has to be more answers for these people. And it also fit in my mindset of sort of that root cause medicine, right? In terms of, which is a kind of a buzzword now, but I'm talking 10, 12 years ago, I was like, okay, if we're going to stay ahead of cancer, don't we have to know what caused it? And don't we have (laughs) to maybe address what the cause was? Novel thought. Yeah, just mind blowing, right? So, so um, turns out there's, you know, there's lots of ways that we can test patients for carcinogens, you know, and, and, and the, the, the options we have for the testing of those things are getting better. Um, they're not perfect, but they're getting better. And so we can maybe at least start to look under the hood and, and say, well, you know, you've, you've got mold, you've got heavy metals, you've got radiation exposure, radon exposure. Um, you've got a lot of plastics and pesticides in you. We know these things are all carcinogens. Let's address those too, and not just focus on killing cancer. And mm-hmm. so that's sort of, you know, where I started to coin that phase or that phrase, um, your cancer is not just bad luck. I'm not saying that there's not maybe some bad luck in that equation, but to me, just to say it's just bad luck, it does nothing to empower patients to, to take control and make changes that, that could actually impact the underlying root causes of their cancer. Yeah. So when you're naming all these really great root causes, do you have a couple tests that you might use in your work with a patient or a client? Yeah, I do. I do a pretty much a full environmental toxin screen on all my patients uh, that are that are interested in that. You know, I recommend it for everybody. And so it's, it's pretty extensive testing, but we look at all those things I just named. You know, we look at molds, metals, plastics, pesticides, other pollutants that are well-known carcinogens. Um, we also look at, you know, we do a deep dive into people's gut health, their microbiome. Uh, we've learned a lot in the last five, 10 years about how much that impacts mm-hmm. potential cancer risk, as well as your immune system function. So, uh, and then we do obviously um, a dive into their metabolic terrain, mm-hmm. um, 
which is also a big, um, a big root cause for some cancers as well. Yeah. That I'm hearing you talk about things that are not on most people living in society's radar and how important the environment is. So can you touch on that? Like when you talk about an environment and what gets into the body, and I haven't heard you mention genetics yet, which is super interesting because that's the mainstream rhetoric. So tell me a little bit about environment versus genetics. Well, um, you know, genetics is, um, you know, everyone's sort of born with this genetic uh, blueprint, right? Mm -hmm. And the the common misconception up until recently or somewhat recently is that that's set in stone. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, oh, I got my my DNA from my mom and my dad. And that's kind of like what I am. And that's that's the way it stays for my whole life. And turns out that very little of it stays the same. Almost none of it. All of it is potentially impacted by, guess what? Our environment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can sort of think of this huge switchboard of, of you know, of uh, lights or light switches. And those light switches are all kind of, you know, able to be turned on and off depending on certain exposures, certain experiences, um, and the day-to-day -day environment that we put ourselves in. And it, and, and it not as just, it's not just our physical environment, but it's our, uh, social and mental, emotional environments. It's our potentially our spiritual environments, although a lot of people aren't ready to go there, but, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's more than just the, the physical body and the physical environment in terms of what affects our, our genes and turns off certain um, the uh, expression of certain genes in our body, which is really where uh, in cancer, you know, people, uh, the mainstream medicine has really pegged cancer as a somatic gene mutation disease, mm -hmm. meaning you've got this mutated gene that's causing these cells to replicate without any control. Okay. And that's how you get these cancer cells. Well, that, that is true, but that's further downstream. That's not the, that's not the cause of the cancer. What happens is you have to have um, some sort of insult to the cell first, which really occurs in the mitochondria of the cell and the mitochondria, when that gets to a certain threshold of dysfunction, it translates into DNA damage within the nucleus. And that's what we commonly see referred to as these gene mutations that are responsible for cancer. Yes, those are there. And that's what's maybe causing the uncontrolled replication of the cell. But the damage to the mitochondria is what led to that. And what damages might our, our mitochondria? Carcinogens. <laughs> All the long list of stuff we just mentioned earlier. So we're just we're, we're, we're kind of completely ignoring a big part of the story there. Yeah. And, and that's that's what we talk about when we talk about, you know, cancer not being just bad luck and not being a genetic problem. Uh, being an environmental issue because the environment is what is initiating that, that, that problem. When you sat in the doctor's appointments with your wife many mm. years ago, why don't you think the doctors were talking about mitochondria and environmental toxins? Well, they're not taught about that stuff. You know, they're just there. It's not in their curriculum. It's not discussed at their meetings. Um, 
you know, oncologists are, they're, they're, they're experts in what they've been trained to do, which is to administer chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, that's, that's really much, that's it. I mean, if you look at radiation oncologists, they're experts in radiation. So they're, they're experts in their treatments, yeah. but not a lot um, of conventional oncologists are well steeped in this type of stuff that I'm talking about in terms yeah. of the, the more the biology and the evolution of cancer, um, you know, but you, you go and talk to some of these PhDs uh, that have been studying this stuff and they all agree with, with this part. They're saying, yeah, there's a disconnect between the, the frontline doctors that are treating cancer mm-hmm. and the scientists, PhDs, more alternative uh, practitioners that are over here yelling, you know, we're treating the wrong thing. We're not treating the wrong thing, but we're ignoring a big piece of the puzzle when we just um, treat cancer as bad luck and and just treat it with cytotoxic therapies. Yeah. I implore our listeners to hear any of these terms, keywords we're using, go to PubMed, get on a literature search. And if you search, it's there, it's It's right there. Hiding in plain sight. (laughs) Hiding in plain sight. And I think what my hope is, and I'll just say what I'm hoping everyone is feeling that if you're considering an integrative approach for cancer treatment, it's not that the an integrative or holistic approach is wrong. It's just that the mainstream physicians, they're just not told about it. They're not taught about it. So how would they know? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, I've built relationships with many mainstream oncologists over the years and, you know, it really is, you know, you, first of all, you have to learn to kind of speak their language first. Uh, yep. which is much more, you know, uh, uh, just conventional in terms of like, well, we had this phase one study, this phase two study, this phase three study, and then we got approval for this drug and this tax, this pathway and this genomic mutation. And so they, their minds only think really in that, in, in, in that, in that frame. So, um, you have to learn to speak their language, but most of them, when, when I am able to build some rapport with them and kind of show them some of the research maybe that they didn't get you know get shown when they were doing their training they connect the dots themselves too but Mm -hmm. it depends on where they're at in their journey you know they if they've already been doing their thing for 20 25 years it's sometimes hard to kind of get them to change their views on things um but most of them you know outside of their day-to-day practice you know in a private discussion would probably admit and say yeah like there's a there's a lot of information over here that makes sense yeah Uh, but they they're handcuffed to a, a system that is um, pretty corrupted, to be honest, Jen. I I believe that, and I've heard it spoke about on some other podcasts. If you want to comment with um, kickbacks or payouts or way practices can make money off of chemotherapy, have you ever witnessed that in your experience? Um, not in the not in the centers I've worked in, but yeah, it is. I mean, it is. You know, if, if a doctor. Uh, owns a practice in an infusion center or as part of a group that owns one and they treat people with chemotherapy, they're absolutely going to be making money off that treatment. Uh, In a hospital system, it's, you know, it might be a little bit more stealthy in terms of the way that the kickbacks happen. Um, But there is absolutely influence there. Okay. There's absolutely influence by drug companies and insurance companies to make sure that doctors are practicing medicine in a way that profits flow to them. And so it is a big business. Don't, 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 you know, don't try to trick yourself that medicine is not 
one of the, if not the biggest business in this country. Yeah. And it's, I've been in offices with a family member of mine where it was very clear an alternative approach was working and you, you could not convince that position otherwise. Um, so thank you for shedding light on that. It's important to know all of our options and peek behind the curtains as the consumer yeah. in this healthcare industry. So with the environment and we, we understand genetics aren't all to blame, what are the factors that you've seen in today's society in like tangible, anything from like drinking water to sleeping with our phones by our heads that mm. could you name like two to three factors you've seen in your experience drive cancer in today's society, even if it's from theory? It's hard to limit it just to two or three. Okay, I, give us I, as many as you want. <laughs> the, 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 the real problem we're running into now and why we're seeing, you know, these these ungodly reports now of, of the, the rates of cancer just skyrocketing, you know, 80%, up 80% uh, in people under the age of 45. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's crazy. And, and we're just living in a toxic soup. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's the water, it's the food, it's the personal care products, mm -hmm. it's the, it, you know, all the things that are emitting EMFs in our, in our home and, and in our neighborhoods. Um, I think it's our lifestyle, you know, we're, we're getting farther and farther away from a lifestyle that really meets the biological requirements of us, the, of our, of our bodies. Um, so it's just, it's a lot. I think it's getting to a tipping point where, um, we need to start to, uh, bring the awareness first. And I think the awareness is building. There are more and more people I think are waking up to some of these risks and for sure. Um, and that's really what I try to do with a lot of the media stuff that I put out there is just bring awareness to, Hey, like it's not, this is not to, this is not to try to just make everybody scared to leave their home or to eat something or drink something, but just be aware, right? Because if you're aware, then you can possibly make a smarter decision, a smarter purchase, um, and, and maybe start to stack some more bags in the levy in terms of all these toxins that are coming at us on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, most of it's toxin stuff, uh, pesticides. So, you know, I think people trying to eat as organic as possible is a really good step. Uh, it doesn't need to be a hundred percent, but the more, the more organic you can eat, I think the better, yeah. uh, filtering your water, you know, uh, would, would not drink anything out of a tap at this point. Um, and then really taking a magnifying glass to, products that you're using either in or on or around yourself every day in terms of your shower items, your, your beauty products, your cleaning products in your home. Um, and even, you know, to the point where maybe look at, at some of the clothing you're wearing too. Uh, you know, there's a lot of reports coming out now about some of these toxins being, um, being very high in, you know, a lot of this stretchy active wear that, people just live in now. Right. And especially people are sweating in and they're maybe, <laughs> you know, really exponentially increasing their absorption of some of those things, just because how tight it is their skin and the fact that they're sweating in it. Yoga pants are a very, you know, good example of that. And I can attest to that. I've, I mean, I'm a 30 some year old female. I've ordered a quick pair of something off of Amazon, sure. stretch my dress up, put it on. Fast fashion. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, my skin itches. My body hates this. And I'm like, oh, there's plastic in my clothes. Plastics and there's PFAS in there. And yeah, so plastic and PFAS. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it can it can be very overwhelming to start to look at all those things, but you know, it's you know, I tell people like just take one step at a time and as you run out of that detergent or as you run out of that deodorant or that toothpaste or that shampoo, just try to make that next purchase a, a smarter, less toxic choice. And environmental working groups a database that a lot of people can use to kind of see behind the curtain on some of these products and how toxic they are. You'd be surprised a lot of them that are considered green and non-toxic um, aren't so green and non-toxic. Um, so yes. <laughs> don't get fooled by the greenwashing that's out there mm-hmm. uh, and do your research or, you know, there's lots of people that on social media now that, that put out great information about that as well. I love that. Yeah. And learning to read labels, learning what to avoid mm-hmm. can be super helpful I, I'm curious, have you ever had, does a patient story stick out in your mind where you ran the testing on all the different toxins and they were like, they saw it and they're like, oh my gosh, either I work here or I always have this in my home. Have you seen something correlate just like hundred percent and be like, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. You have some Uh, examples? Yeah. One of the, I mean, one of the ones I see on a regular basis is mold. And so most people, you know, they either know they have mold in their home because of, you know, flooding or water damage or whatever, or they know that a past home that they were in had mold exposures. And then we run their mycotoxins and they're through the roof. And I tell people, you know, mold is one of the worst ones because it not only can create this landscape that's really uh, favorable for cancer to grow, but it also suppresses the immune system. Mm -hmm. Most of our immune suppressant drugs that we use for people that are getting transplants, they're made from mold. And so one of the quickest ways to disarm somebody in their immune system is to, is to expose them to mold. So that's one. I mean, we've seen people like a lot of uh, hairdressers. We find all, time, all kinds of chemicals in them, um, you know, people that are uh, exposed to those, those, those bleaches and those um, chemicals that dyes and chemicals they use on a daily basis as part of their job. Even if they're using some of the protective you know, equipment and gloves and stuff, you still see people I've had dozens of women over the years that we've tested and that are hairdressers or in that industry. And we find lots of stuff in them. Uh, people from farming communities, we find tons of pesticides, uh, whether it's glyphosate or, you know, two, four D you know, people that are in uh, work in factories, you know, we find tons of metal, heavy metals in them. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's, there's a lot of aha moments for people when it's like, oh, you know, this is finally connecting the dots for me. And this isn't just bad luck. You're right. And here's, here's a pretty, um, a pretty obvious answer as to why I got this cancer. Which is crazy about our farmers. And I know that because I come from a family, both sides of farmers that our farmers are sick because they're making our food. <laughs> And mm-hmm. they're getting exposed. And then we just have the crop and these micro poison doses. So I'm curious for the farmers, the beauticians, the factory workers who maybe tomorrow because of their family circumstances can't right away change their job. Yeah. Are there a couple things they could do to begin protecting themselves or just give their body a better fighting chance until they can make that shift? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause you're right. Not everybody can just, you know, make a career change or, or, you know, sell the farm or, or, or quit that job. So um, good news is there's kind of two sides to that coin when it comes to toxins, there's the exposure, but then there's also 
how does our body, our bodies are designed to deal with toxins to a certain extent. And these are our detoxification pathways. And so um, some of the simplest things that people can do are to, you know, really stay well hydrated, make sure that your bowels are moving on a regular basis and sweat as much as possible, ideally in a sauna, but any kind of sweating is going to help move things out of the body. So those are the three main pathways of elimination, if you will. Let's be honest, the healing journey can be hard from cooking to consultations and trying to live a life in between. Oftentimes you just run out of energy. Are you looking for a therapy that can shoulder some of this healing work for you? Well, I have got just the thing. Infrared has been the second best thing next to food as my medicine to heal all eight autoimmune and chronic conditions from my body. These infrared devices I'm going to tell you about literally helped me melt my eczema that was from my collarbone to my forehead away while I was healing with symptomless nutrition. I woke up every morning with skin that was cracked, bleeding so stiff, I could not even smile. But thank goodness for infrared, as this was the only thing to truly help my skin be more supple, the eczema to heal, my fatigue to reduce, and my body to flush out the inflammation through heat shock proteins so I could be here sharing this good news with you today. Truth be told, I still use my infrared sauna every single day because it makes me feel so good. So how can infrared help you heal? I want you to think of your body like one giant solar panel. You know, the ones that sit on rooftops and turn sun into energy inside of the home. Our bodies are basically doing the same thing, whether that's from the sun or healing infrared devices by exposing our skin to sunlight, seven dehydrocholesterol in the skin absorbs the UVB light and is converted to pre vitamin D3. From there, it changes into vitamin D3, and then your body uses it for anti-inflammatory healing. And research suggests this may result in more soluble mediators, such as endorphins, serotonin being released, think happy, feel good, anti-inflammatory, and increased ATP production by the mitochondria just from the infrared use. Your body is going to feel so, so good and relieved deeply with the infrared light. So where to start? Start with an infrared sauna. If you're ready to go in, sweat and deeply detox and heal fast. If you need to take it slow, a juve red light by itself or combined with a biomat is a more gentle option that can be used anytime, anywhere without breaking the sweat. Simply head over to inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy, or click on the link infrared in the show notes. That's inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy. On the webpage, you will see an opportunity for up to a $600 discount for the infrared saunas and $50 to $100 discount for the biomats and the red light devices. So get that discount, head over to inspirehealthbygen.com slash infrared dash therapy. Unfortunately, it's, you know, we're seeing, and I get, I think this is why we're, we're seeing this you know, explosion of cancer is that not only are we being exposed to a lot of toxins throughout our day to day, but we're, our lifestyles are moving away from supporting those, those pathways of elimination. You know, people aren't getting enough fiber or fruits and vegetables. And so their bowels are not moving well. We, we've got people that are dehydrated because they're, you know, they're drinking sodas all day or too much coffee and not enough water. We've got people that aren't moving, they're sedentary or they're stuck in an office job all day. Um, and so we're not doing you know, our part to help our bodies overcome or, or kind of withstand the storm. Mm-hmm. You, 
not just bad luck. <laughs> There's a reason. Bad luck. A lot of reasons, but um, it's it's not just bad luck. I love that. Yeah. So when someone comes to you to to work with you integratively to heal their cancer, and you have this best of both worlds approach. So you mentioned you start with testing, and I understand that probably every patient is very bio-individual. How do you start to guide the process from the testing? Do you look at environmental? Do you look at food? Do you give them in saunas? Like what could someone expect if they were working with you? Yeah, the testing is really the best place to start. Um, you know, sometimes we'll get patients that come to us that have already maybe had some outside testing done and we can use that sometimes, but I've sort of developed my um, process for testing people for for these root causes, right? Whether it's environmental toxins, looking at their gut health, looking at markers of their metabolic health, looking at nutrients, looking at their immune system, looking at their inflammation. And so to me, it's really getting a, hopefully a, a, you know, a full look under the hood to see what each person is dealing with, because, you know, I can line up 10 women with the exact same type of cancer. So they all have hormone positive breast cancer and, you know, those women from the standard medicine side would all get the exact same treatment plan, right? More mm -hmm. or less. I'll, if I do my testing on those 10 women, I guarantee you I'll have 10 different treatment plans for, you know, between them. They all have the same type of cancer, but as far as what their issues are that need to be worked on, it very easily could be 10 completely different cases. That's beautiful because everyone has a different toxic load, like what they're dealing with. Toxic load, or maybe, you know, maybe their work needs to be done more on the, you know, supporting their immune system side, or maybe the mental emotional side needs to be addressed. That's a bigger piece of their puzzle. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it is environmental issues, but you know, it, there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle that we need to put together. And you never know until you start testing people, you can't just say, Oh, well, this is a breast cancer patient. Here's our breast cancer protocol. It's I, I treat everybody like a, you know, clean slate. Yeah. This question is for my own personal curiosity. I'm like, maybe I should ask them before we hopped on. But so I have a theory that autoimmune disease, cause that's primarily what I work with and yeah. cancer, they're running on the same road for a long time with toxins, inflammation, pathogens, and then there's a fork in the road. Do you see autoimmune and cancer? If we break down and start to go to the root causes somewhat similar, just a different response in the body. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It, it, the, the fork, I see it as more of a teeter totter and that's that immune system balance. Right. And so yeah. you've got that TH1, TH2 balance and yep. flips one way, you're looking at more autoimmune type conditions, flips the other way, you're setting yourself up for a possible malignancy, a possible cancer. Yeah. And so it, it all kind of comes down to how is the immune system responding to the threats, whether they're toxins or pathogens or, uh, you know, chronic inflammation. It's, yeah. it's all about that immune response. And some people are more wired for an autoimmune response Some people are more wired for a cancer response. It's, I love the way you said teeter totter. It took me back to my journey of like autoimmune, this really talkative, reactive body to a period of they were watching me for Hodgkin's and I had all these swollen nose, just do, 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 and then finally yeah. it's gone. So, cause I cleaned out my body. So, right. Right. Yeah. But uh, the ah. root causes can look very similar. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, root causes for, for autoimmune diseases and cancer can look very similar. Oh, well, thank you for adding to my theory today. That's so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I share it with a lot of clients and I'm like, I just feel in my bones. It's pretty similar. Yeah. So, I think it's more than a theory for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, so you have this treatment approach and I love that it can look 10 different ways for 10 same diagnoses. 
I've heard you talk about in your work, vitamin C therapy, mistletoe, ozone therapies. I'm curious how these work, if you want to break down one or all of them. And then I have a follow-up question after that, but like, what do you use? How do they work? What can people know? Just very preliminary information if they're hearing about these for the first time. First one was yeah, vitamin those, Yeah, those three you mentioned are probably three of the most common ones that, that I use in my practice to address, you know, to address issues that cancer patients are dealing with. Um, IV vitamin C is, you know, fairly well known, but there's a lot of people that still, you know, don't, don't know about it or, or don't, don't understand it well. Yeah. I, I, and I talk to oncologists all the time that you know, they think it's an antioxidant and they're like, ah, you, you, I can't do that with radiation. But what high dose IV vitamin C really is all about is, um, creating uh, an oxidative effect in the body. So the opposite of what oral vitamin C does. Mm. Uh, and that oxidative effect is via the generation of peroxide in the bloodstream, which turns out is very toxic, selectively toxic to cancer cells, particularly cancer stem cells, which are the types of cancer cells that chemotherapy and radiation aren't very good at getting rid of. Mm -hmm. And so uh, IV vitamin C is a great adjunctive treatment um, to chemo and radiation to help get rid of the cancer stem cells also helps with the, um, you know, shifting the epigenetics of the tumor environment in a more favorable way. It helps with decreasing the inflammation that tends to drive cancer growth and it helps with the immune function. And can patients take IV vitamin C and alternative or not the alternative, the conventional therapies at the same time? Outside of very, very few exceptions. Yes. Um, okay. There are a few things to know about, and you should always work with someone who's, you know, well experienced with IV vitamin C, especially if you're a cancer patient, but it, it overwhelmingly is a very safe therapy. Yeah. You can rule out, you know, something called G6PD deficiency. Mm -hmm. um, you have to make sure that they have good functioning kidneys. Mm -hmm. um, and there's other kind of fluid overload issues that you may want to be careful with. There's a few drugs that are not used that much anymore that were, uh, mainly used in multiple myeloma that some studies suggest that vitamin C may exacerbate some of the side effects of those. But outside of that, every other chemotherapy drug that we've seen it combined with in research, it's not only not caused a problem, but it's actually shown to improve the efficacy of the drug. Yeah. And I'm hearing you say, this is where I feel like this best of both worlds is coming together. I'm hearing you say the IV vitamin C goes after the cancer stem cells, kind of the mama. And then the other treatments, the conventional treatments are going after the offspring, which is the like offspring. what is correct. Yeah. I mean, yes, IV vitamin C can get rid of some of the offspring, but mm -hmm. not, not the rate that chemotherapy does. These, these offspring cells are rapidly dividing very primitive minded cells. And that's, mm -hmm. those are the ones that chemotherapy comes through. And, you know, this is where you see patients that, you know, one dose of chemo and their tumor shrunk by 80%. It wiped out a ton of those offspring cells, but then usually at the core of these tumors, you've got, you know, a very small number of these cancer stem cells, which is, which are the cells that really originate the tumor process and then give rise to the offspring. And these are the ones that, you know, you can kill all the offspring cells and force these cancer stem cells into kind of a hibernation state. Mm -hmm. But then guess what? A year later, two years later, when you haven't fixed the root cause of the cancer, these things reawaken and they're much more aggressive the second time and they're much more resistant to conventional treatments. And so 
yes, you're right. That's why you would want to consider combining IV vitamin C uh, as well as some of the, the other integrative therapies uh, with conventional treatments to make sure you're getting more of a total kill of these, of these cancer cells and not just the offspring, but also the stem cells, which are the ones that tend to cause the recurrences. And so the word primitive, I'm like, that's literally what I think of when I think of cancer cells, you're talking about them being primitive. And is it so much like our own genetics driving that behavior or like the xenobiotics that are getting into the cells, then telling them how to behave to just be wild and rogue in the body? So the best theory we have on that is what's called the atavastic theory, um, which is basically that um, all cells want to survive. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as our bodies and cells have evolved over the years, um, we've, you know, because we've got our human body are made up of, we're made up of lots of different types of specialty cells, right? But we basically all evolved from, you know, kind of single celled organisms, right? And so these single celled organisms, their program was just to take in as much energy as possible to keep dividing as fast as possible, because that's how survival and life happened. Once we get to the point where we've got all these types of specialty cells going on, then we've got to coexist, right? Your liver cells have to coexist with your heart cells and not try to kill them, right? And, and, and they kind of have to learn to contain themselves. And so there's these regulatory um, programs that our cells have developed over years to keep the growth from getting too out of hand, right? So that we can preserve yeah. the entire organism. And so th- this atavastic theory is basically saying that cancer cells are just de-evolved cells that have, that have lost their ability to self-contain. Mm-hmm. All they're trying to do is survive. And guess what? Yeah. They take in tons of glucose and mm-hmm. they just try to replicate as fast as possible. And so it's, it's not that you've got this rogue, you know, demon zombie cell in you. These are, these are your cells. They've just they've been forced into this uh, de-evolved state because of the onslaught of carcinogens and the damage to the mitochondria. They've lost the ability to run those programs to self-regulate. Like they're hijacked or something. (laughs) They've been dumbed down. They've been dumbed down. And, um, but at the end of the day, they're just trying to survive like all the rest of your cells. Yeah. They just want to be alive too. What about mistletoe and ozone therapies? Do you utilize those therapies? Yeah, love mistletoe uh, and ozone. Mistletoe is uh, a therapy that's been around for a long time, even though most people in our country haven't heard of it. Uh, but it's been around in Europe for many, many years, especially countries like Germany, Switzerland, uh, Austria. It's it's pretty much a standard of care therapy over there. It's covered by insurance plans. and Because guess what? It helps the immune system. And it really is sort of a you know, a lot of people may have heard of immunotherapy drugs now that are used in oncology. Like you, people have probably seen commercials for Keytruda mm-hmm. and Optivo. These are, you know, coined immunotherapy drugs, but mistletoe really is an immunotherapy in and of itself. And mm-hmm. uh, these are extracts that come from the mistletoe plants, the European mistletoe, which is uh, different than the American style mistletoe, which we just kind of use as the, you know, the ceremonial plant around the holidays to hear, yeah. but uh, in Europe, it's a very medicinal plant and contains a lot of compounds that can help 
uh, ramp up the production of immune cells, particularly natural killer cells, macrophages, dendritic cells that can go out and help your body fight cancer on its own. That's so cool. And then you'll use those plus ozone or? Yeah, ozone is another um, really valuable tool that I've found uh, when dealing with cancer and the underlying causes of cancer because it, it can help with detox protocols. It can also help clear chronic infections and pathogens that can contribute to cancer, whether that's viruses, parasites, fungus. Um, and it's, it's a great synergistic effect with IV vitamin C in a lot of ways as well. So um, big fan of ozone, big fan of, you know, mistletoe vitamin C. I would say most of my patients are doing some combination of those therapies. Yeah. Most, most of those are very safe to combine with conventional mm -hmm. treatments and can help lessen the side effects and toxicity while improving the outcomes. And so, uh, and they've been very well studied. They're just, yeah. fortunately, they're not sort of in that process of um, meeting the FDA approval standards, mm -hmm. which really they've set that game up to where only pharmaceutical companies can, 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 can play that game. I find a lot of us aren't even wanting to play that game anymore, but I can attest to the vitamin IV therapy. First thing I do when I'm getting sick is I'll go get an IV and then I have an ozone at home and mm -hmm. I'll, I know, yep. I'm curious if you do blood or insufflation or what you do. And I'm like, after I use ozone therapy at home and infrared sonic and IV, I'm like, oh, I was, I was sick this morning and it's 2 PM and now I'm fine. Cause yeah. those therapies, they work so well. They work, they work and they, they just assist the body and speed up the body's ability to heal. And, um, you know, especially ozone, like if you got a, if you got a flu or a bug or something, I mean, they use ozone, you know, most notably to sterilize, you know, uh, equipment, they use it in dentist's office. They use it, you know, it, it kills almost anything, Yeah. Uh, but in a very safe way. And yeah, we use it IV. You can do insufflations, you know, sinus insufflations. If you've got an upper respiratory infection, rectal insufflations uh, mm -hmm. to help decrease yeah. um, possible pathogens in the gut. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a very valuable tool, but the IVs, um, you know, I've seen helpful with things like Lyme disease, mm -hmm. uh, autoimmune diseases mm -hmm. um, and chronic viral stuff as well. So um, and, and people with like long COVID, that's another great use case. I was just going to say, why were we not having ozone parties during the pandemic? I mean, we could have, but it probably, we'll just uh, there, there, there was probably some going on, but yeah, uh, <laughs> they weren't talked about. Well, should, have been, should have been talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Future note. So why don't you think these kinds of practices that clearly work like why isn't insurance covering them why why aren't they offered alongside chemotherapy um well i hate to sound too kind of um you can <laughs> negative here but i mean it, it's all about money jen yeah. i mean you, you know that and um you know the the medicine that's practiced on the front lines is really dictated uh, ultimately by insurance companies and drug companies yeah and um and doctors don't like to admit that, but they, if, if they, unless they've just got their head in the sand, they all know it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's not something they're going to share with their patients, obviously. And so, um, yeah, it, 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 it's unfortunate, you know, this is why you, when you go to other countries, I would, I would, um, you know, encourage people to, to look at other countries for medicine because a lot of other countries, um, 
you know, we like to think that we have the best of the best here, but a lot of company uh, countries will look at medicine in a less biased fashion, say, look, we're going to use what works, right? Mm -hmm. And what's the simplest way to take care of people and get them better with the least amount of cost and, and, uh, and possible adverse effects. And that's where you see a lot of these, you know, like, like in, in Europe where mistletoe is, you know, is a standard of uh, care therapy. Um, And uh, a lot of South American countries, uh, South American countries as well. And so, yeah, the U S you know, we kind of are in this, uh, for better or worse, kind of capitalistic environment here. I'm not saying that's a bad thing uh, across the board, but um, when it comes to medicine, you know, uh, that's why you're not hearing about some of these, you know, these therapies that are very useful, very valuable, very effective. It's because they're not, they're not going to bring in the money. And I, I can hear, and I agree. And I can hear like some of the listeners, but I love my oncologist. They've been through thick and thin with me. And here's, let me offer this perspective to our listeners of, you know, when I went through nursing school and the nurse practitioner school and onto my doctorate, like at one of those points, I had had a personal experience where I was like, I just went to nursing school to help people. And I learned what they told me I would do to help people. And then in the middle of that, I had my own health crisis and I was like, oh, and then I learned like, oh crap, everything I've been learning. Oh, I don't actually agree with. So just to offer a a softening around that of, yeah, it is all about the money and your doctors are good people. They went to school to help and then they're stuck in it too. Absolutely. What? (laughs) I think most, most doctors, um, most, yeah. <laughs> they get into it for the right reasons. They do want to help people. And, and it's unfortunate because again, we've got some of our most brilliant minds that are, that are on that side and they're just so handcuffed uh, to that, to that system. And like I said, by the time, if some of them do kind of wake up to it, um, most of them, you know, they're too, they're too comfortable in their careers. They're making really good money. Yeah. Um, there's lots of reasons why they may not want to speak up or, or stand out, but yeah. Some of it's that they don't want to be ostracized by their colleagues. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you're at a certain place in your career, you're making good money, you're living a lifestyle, you have a family to take care of, and you know if you say anything, they could like kick you out, take your license, and then you're, out of the gonna, club. you're gonna work somewhere you never wanted to work. Yeah. yeah. It's a big and deal. That's why I really commend, you know, we, we are getting more and more of these, you know, conventional doctors that are starting to step outside of the standard of care. And I, I think that's a very brave thing. Yeah. Uh, and I, I hope it continues and more of them do, but th- there's plenty of reasons why, you know, why they don't want to, and uh, it is risky for them, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. Uh, a lot of patients, like you said, initially uh, patients, they love their doctors, right? They've, they've developed mm-hmm. relationships with them. And I'm not saying any of those people are, are bad people. They're just, it's the system they're stuck in. You've spoken to so many important things. This is just what I'm like, I'm not an integrative oncologist, but I want this community to be able to hear these words. And before we tell everyone how they can flood your system and come work with you and get all the help that they need, do you have like a, I'm putting you on the spot here. So a favorite inspirational healing story, a client or a patient that comes to mind that you're like, I want to share about that. Anything that comes to mind? There's so many. Um, One of the ones that really stands out that I've, you know, uh, posted about in my social media because I just think it's such a miraculous story and 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 this patient's story is much bigger than just my work with him but um you know uh, I had a patient because you know you get a lot of patients that you know they might come to more integrative therapies or alternative therapies kind of later in their 
in their journey, right? You know, maybe they've tried all the conventional treatments and have been told there's nothing else and, Mm -hmm. you know, go home on hospice, get your affairs in order. There's nothing else to do, but they don't feel like it's the end for them. And they're like, well, is there anything out there that I can try? And so um, I had a gentleman come to me. um, It'll be, it'll be four years in January now, uh, four years ago with stage four pancreatic cancer. Mm. which is basically a death sentence, you know, yeah, yeah. stage four pancreatic cancer, the survival rate at five years is less than 1%. So uh, a very deadly, you know, disease by all accounts. And this guy came to me, it had had surgery, uh, the Whipple procedure went through a year of chemo, failed two different lines of chemo, and was told there was really nothing else to do. On top of that had a MRSA infection in his spine. So he was paralyzed below the waist. So his wife literally wheeled him into my office in a wheelchair and, um, and said, you know, we're interested in, you know, we're not ready to give up. What what can you, what can you do to help us? And I have to say, Jen, that, I mean, I can still remember that visit and my brain going, I don't know if there's anything I can do for this guy. You know, I, I'm not sure. And so, uh, you know, was very honest with them about that. And, you know, I'd treated enough stage four pancreatic cancer patients over the years that I wasn't going to blow smoke up their butt. I was just like, look, you're in a bad spot here. You're paralyzed. You know, you, you've had, you got a lot of toxicity from the chemo that didn't work and the disease is, is rampaging. And so, but they, they wouldn't take, I, well, he, I think was ready to say, okay, I I'm done, but the wife would not take no for an answer. <laughs> she said, we understand. Uh, and thank you for being honest, but we'd like to try. And so we did try. And again, like I said, that was four years ago and, um, he's cancer free. Um, we, we, we did a lot of hard work for the first year and they were in my clinic day in and day out. I mean, most days of the week for a while. And it was a good six months before we really started to see things turn in the right direction. I feel like that's important. Yeah. So, um, you know, that first six months it was, you know, they kept showing up and I said, well, they wanted to keep trying. I couldn't point them to any information or objective findings that things were getting better, but things weren't getting worse. And he kept showing back up. Yeah. Um, but I would say at about the six month mark, we really started to see the tide turn. And um, not only did the cancer ultimately go into remission, but the, the MRSA infection in his spine cleared. He was able to start walking again. He had to do some very intense physical therapy, but I got to the point where- after two years, he was running 5Ks again. Oh uh, my gosh. His wife are vacationing in Hawaii. They're, you know, he's seen mul- multiple weddings and graduations mm-hmm. and things of his kids that he would have never seen. And so, again, I don't think it was all within the power of what I did with him. I think there were bigger things at play as well. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a very, uh, if nothing else, to me, his case is one that people can look to and, and, you know, if they're feeling low on hope and things maybe are a little bit later stage, but they have that intuition that they want to keep fighting, yeah. you know, go, go try something. You're not a fool for trying some of these therapies. Some people have had some really miraculous outcomes with it. And, um, and so if you feel inspired to keep, to keep fighting and, uh, you know, find someone who can help you and find someone that you trust and, also maybe be prepared that it could take some, some time, but there are still maybe some good options out there for people. Thank you. I'm like, half of me is weeping and the other half wants to leap out of the room. I just come from a radical belief 
because my own intuition with my own prognosis in my body, all the doctors said what they were going to say. And I was like, no, I can do it. And there, I, I really believe that we can heal. If your body is something inside of you is saying it's possible, like just go find the people to support you in that. And then you also mentioned about the timeline. It's we're humans. We're like, okay, I've been doing this thing for two weeks. Why am I not fixed? Right, <laughs> but right. yeah, it's going to take time probably. Yeah. So, thank you. Uh, be prepared for that. But yeah, I think, um, you know, hope in and of itself is a hell of a drug. Mm. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't, don't be afraid to go out there and, and, uh, and see what, it, what is there to offer and integrative oncologists, naturopathic oncologists, you know, these are people that you may want to talk to if you're in that situation. Well, I know there are many listening that want to talk to you, Dr. Lucas. So how I'll put all this in the show notes, but they're just going to like get out their phones and really quickly, how can yeah. they get in touch? Uh, straight through my website, drlucas.org. Uh, doctor is spelled out. So D-O-C-T-O-R-L-U-C-A-S.org. Uh, you can request an appointment uh, through the website and, um, and we can jump on a, jump on a telemedicine visit and uh, go from there. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your wisdom, your research, your inspiration, your hope today. This has been a beautiful conversation and I can't wait for more. Thanks, Jen. Hey, let me interrupt this episode real quick to offer another prescription along your healing journey. This one may be not what you're thinking of. Let me guess, you're doing the nutrition, the supplements, the sauna, the exercise, the peptides, the yoga, but there's still a feeling like something is missing in your healing journey. Where two or more are gathered, there is indeed healing power, and we are going to gather way more than two people. I do believe our healing journey does not reach its capacity until we have entered into the portal that is a healing spiritual medicine retreat. In order for our brain to rewire itself, reprogram limiting beliefs, anxious thoughts, and even cellular healing code for our physical body to get better, we must break the pattern we live in. We can do this by engulfing ourselves in a healing retreat. I want to invite you into the healing container I create just once a year, our spiritual medicine healing retreat in Yalapa, Mexico, January 14th through the 19th of 2024. We have various pricing package options for all budgets, all inclusive besides your travel. I promise you, you cannot come back from this healing experience the same. Imagine organic healing foods, instant ocean access, sleeping in open air or closed if you prefer rooms, listening to the oceans, tropical rainforest waterfall excursions, deep sea snorkeling, boat rides, healing sessions, shaman ceremony, and space and rest and time to connect with your soul, which is the true medicine. This is the annual experience my team and I curate just for you once a year and it sells out every single time. So if you're listening to this, I know you crave deep healing. So click on the link in the show notes or go to inspirehealthbygen.com slash retreats. That's inspirehealthbygen.com slash retreats for more information. Or if you're listening to this podcast and hear this after the retreat has passed, check out the retreats page still for another unique in-person healing experience in the future. How is that friends? Oh, my soul feels renewed and I am so grateful for pioneers in the medical field like Dr. Lucas. And I'm so grateful for you and this community and everyone that comes here 
week after week and lets us know they're enjoying the show, shares it with a friend. So if this message, this show is helping you and your family and your friends heal, would you please subscribe, leave a five-star review if that feels in alignment, send it to a friend, and then below in the show notes, let us know what you want to hear about. This is a community. We are here to serve you through this podcast, and we so appreciate you being here. And extra thanks to Dr. Lucas for being here, and I cannot encourage you to reach out to him if you feel called to. Again, we'll see you next week.